Hello and welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thanks for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's free resources, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. Father, I pray that I'd not get in the way of what you plan to do today, but that you would speak in all clarity and truth. Lord, let it be to the glory of Christ's name alone. Amen. In our last lesson, we were discussing the fact that the choices people make often have consequences for others. The innocent can suffer through no fault of their own. And that really leads us into our next question of faith, which is, do Christians have to forgive others? Is it possible? And if so, how? In tackling the first question, I guess that the real answer is no, you don't have to forgive others. You're free to make your own choice, but if you act contrary to what is in the Word of God, there may be unintended consequences. So what does God's Word say about forgiveness? Let's start by looking at the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Jesus often used parables when he taught as a way of simply teaching a deep spiritual truth by means of a story everyone could understand. So with that in mind, let's look at the word to see what Jesus had to say about forgiveness. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. In those days, the rabbis, the religious teachers, said that God expected us to forgive only three times. They decided this based on Amos chapter 1 and 2 in the Old Testament, where God appeared to say that he would forgive three offenses, but not the fourth. So Peter, I think, here is really trying to impress Jesus when he asks up to seven times. He doubles what the Jewish teachers said, and then he adds on one extra for good measure, expecting to be commended, I think. But Jesus answers him by saying, no, 77 times. Some translations actually render that 70 times 7, meaning that there really are no limits on forgiveness. And to help Peter understand what he meant by the 70 times 7, Jesus then went on to tell him a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, his master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. We're told that the man owed God 10,000 talents, and that may not really mean much to us today, but 10,000 talents represented a huge debt. 
At the regular rate of pay back then, it would take a person 20 years to pay back just one talent. And then that would leave another 9,999 still left to go. So do you see that there was no way possible that one man could repay the king what was owed to him? That debt would continue to his children and to his children's children. In fact, they would never be free. But because the servant begged for mercy, the king cancelled the debt. The man was free, his burden was lifted. So how does this free man then begin to live out his life? Let's go on in verse 28. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison till he could pay the debt. No sooner was the servant forgiven, he went out to find those who owed him. But instead of showing them the same kindness he had been shown, he grabbed one of his fellow servants by the throat and began to choke him, screaming, pay back what you owe me. When that fellow servant cried out for mercy, he was shown none. He was thrown into prison by the very servant who had just been forgiven. Now, we must understand that a hundred denarii was four months' wages in those days. So, do you see, even though that might have been a lot, these two debts didn't even compare. And yet, the one who had been forgiven so much refused to release his brother. Verse 31 says, When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured till he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So what is the main point of this parable Jesus told Peter and the other disciples? What was he wanting them to really see about forgiveness? He wanted them to see that those who are forgiven need to forgive others. Why is that so important? Well, he tells us in verse 33 Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? God himself is the king and master of all, and we all owe him a debt that we just cannot pay. We deserve punishment, but in scripture, we also see that when a person acknowledges their debt to God and calls out to him for mercy— He will forgive them all that they owe and release them from the punishment that they ought to have. If you've never called out to him for mercy, I'd invite you to do that right now. Ask God to forgive your sins. Ask him to cancel your debt. But as you do, understand that what you ask has a cost. It has cost the king greatly. God is both loving and just. But he's not one without the other. 
Forgiving the debt comes at a price. Forgiveness is not free. God loves you enough to release you from your debt, but because he's just, the price still has to be paid. It was for that reason that God's own son gave up his life for us. We stand in the dock accused, but as we cry out to the judge for mercy, out of love, he takes off his robe, comes down from his bench to stand in our place. We can go. Love has freed us because he will take our punishment upon himself. This is no small thing, for his kindness will not only affect us, but will affect our children's children. When we understand the blessing that is, it has to change us and the way that we deal with others. Out of gratitude, we obey the truth of Colossians 3.13, which tells us to bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. But according to what Jesus taught here, there is another reason why it's so important that we forgive one another. Because according to verse 34, if we continue to stubbornly harbor unforgiveness to others, we'll find ourselves handed over to the jailers to be tortured. Now, unforgiveness is rather like us drinking rat poison and then hoping for the rat to die. Our life will be taken from us while the rat continues to live out their days in happiness. When we choose not to forgive, we get handed over to the torturers. Those who harmed us go on about their lives while we're stuck in pain and distress. Imprisoned by the bars of our own making, we become tortured by our own thoughts as well as Satan's jabs. Please hear me when I say that forgiving someone doesn't make what they did to you right. No, it sets you free. Now, I know that raises many questions for us, and there have been many times that someone has said to me, but you don't know what happened to me. I can't forgive them. Well, when I was nine years old, I was abused by someone close to our family, It's taken time, but over the years, God has helped me to understand that forgiving someone doesn't make what they did to you right. It doesn't mean that it's okay or that God doesn't care about what they did. He cares very much, but he wants you free, and forgiveness is a vital part of that. So my question then becomes, is it that you can't forgive or is it that you won't forgive? You see, this is your choice. Will you obey God and release them from their debt to you, or will you choose not to? Your choice will have consequences. Now, please hear me when I say that I understand for many people held captive by unforgiveness, to forgive someone from your heart, as verse 35 requires, often feels impossible. In fact, from my own experience, I know that forgiveness from the heart is something that is beyond a person's own human strength. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. And in order to forgive, we must press into the Lord and ask him to give us his strength to do what he calls us to do, that which we cannot. 
if you're struggling in this area, let me encourage you, do not rely on your feelings. Forgiveness is really an act of your will. And often, right feelings only come after right action. So my suggestion is to begin by confessing with your mouth something like this. Father God, because I love you and because you have forgiven me, I am willing to forgive whoever the person is. But I do not know how to release them. I know that what they did isn't okay, and I believe that it's no small thing to you either. But please give me your strength, your power to forgive and to live free. It also might help you to know that when I forgive someone, I know that I'm releasing their debt to God. They no longer owe me, but they do owe him. And he is able to bring them either to repentance or to judgment. Because he says in Romans 12 verse 19, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Sometimes I will actually pray aloud that they no longer owe me and that I'm transferring their debt to God, that they now owe him. And I also sometimes ask that In the future, the individual be brought to the point of being able to understand how it felt to be me. And that's not out of malice, but rather it's because I think that will help them in their repentance. I want you to understand, though, forgiveness is not always instant. Sometimes it's a process. I like to think of it as being rather like an onion. There are many layers to it, and as you break through each one, often tears do come to your eyes. Perhaps you realize you're still in the forgiveness process, and you know that's okay. God sees our hearts, and he knows that this will be a journey with him. But can I give you some advice? The one thing I found more helpful than anything else is speak to God about your pain, not to other people. Proverbs 10, 19 says, When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Talk to God about it, yes, but not to any and everyone else who will listen. There is wisdom in sharing your pain, though, with one or two of your closest praying friends, because Satan does trade in secrets. Sometimes speaking about it will loosen his grip on the situation because it's being brought out into the light. But do this for prayer only and limit how much you keep going back to it in your mind. Because if you keep going over and over the problem, if you keep talking endlessly about it, it will take longer to heal. Remember, we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 to 5, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Ask God to help you take your thoughts and your mouth captive. Think about Joseph in the Old Testament. He was the firstborn son of Jacob's favorite wife. And although there were 12 boys altogether, Joseph was clearly his father's favorite. 
so much so that Jacob gave Joseph a coat of many colours, which actually caused a lot of jealousy between the brothers. Joseph apparently had God's favour too, because God gave him two different dreams of his brothers and his whole family bowing down to him. Of course, when he told his brothers about the dreams, that only made them hate him even more. So one day, when they were out in the fields, the brothers decided to get rid of Joseph once and for all. They pulled off his coat of many colours and threw him bound into a dry cistern, or well. And while he was down there lying helpless because of what had been done to him by his siblings, there was nothing he could do but to look up through the opening above him to the heavens beyond. He could not help himself, but even there he could look to God. He cried out to his brothers, begging them to help him, but they chose not to. Yes, they were still there, nearby, having lunch in the shade of a tree, but they chose to be deaf to his cries. And then the slave traders showed up, just in time for his brothers to sell Joseph to them for 20 pieces of silver. I'm sure Joseph pleaded with them not to, but their hearts were hard toward him, and all they did was try to bargain for a better price. We know that they put blood on his coat at that point and planned to show it to their father, saying that his favourite child had been killed by wild animals in the field, when in truth those wild animals that brought him ill were Joseph's own brothers. The slave traders dragged Joseph down to Egypt where he was sold. He arrived there with nothing, no money, no family, no coat. Just another drifter brought in from the desert with nothing to offer. He had lost everything except for one thing, his destiny, for God had chosen him and called him, and there was a day coming when his own brothers would bow down to him. Now getting to that day wasn't easy though. You know Joseph was enslaved to Potiphar, and even though he was a man of integrity, Potiphar's evil wife falsely accused him of trying to seduce her, when in reality he was the one who had resisted her requests. It didn't matter to her husband, though, and when he returned, he had Joseph thrown into prison. How many years Joseph waited there while others repeatedly forgot all about him. But God had not forgotten him, and God has not forgotten you either. He has chosen you and called you by name. He has given you a future and a hope, and he will put even our times of pain and bondage to good use. Joseph remained faithful to God through it all. Eventually, he was released from prison into the service of Pharaoh, and he was ultimately put into the most powerful position in the land, second only to the Pharaoh himself. It was then that a terrible famine hit the region. But because of his relationship with God, Joseph had been able to warn Pharaoh to prepare in advance for the failure of the crops. Egypt had a great surplus stored up. Hunger eventually brought Joseph's own family down to Egypt in search of food, and though we can't go into it, Joseph eventually revealed himself to them. 
he fed them and let them live on the land that Pharaoh had given him. Well, as God would have it, one day, once their father had died, Joseph's brothers were afraid that now with their father dead, Joseph would take his revenge. And so they sent him a message lying about the fact that on his deathbed, their father had asked that Joseph forgive his brothers. When he got the message, Joseph actually wept out of compassion for them. He understood that they were acting out of fear. These were the men who had done him such harm, but in all that they had done, he knew that they had not been able to rob him of his destiny. Genesis 50 verse 18 tells us, His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. Right there, God's promise to Joseph all those years ago as a dreaming child was fulfilled as his family bowed down before him. And how did Joseph treat them? What did he say? Throw them into prison until they pay back all they owe? No. Verse 19 says, But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good and to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Many are the plans of a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails in the end. I'm not sure that you realize this, but if it hadn't been for Joseph, his family would have starved to death. But this was the beginnings of Israel here. The 12 sons were actually the origins of the 12 tribes of Israel. And if it weren't for Joseph, his brother Judah would have died. And Jesus Christ came from the tribe of Judah. So no wonder Satan had tried to destroy them all. Jacob's family was the family through whom Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would eventually come. You are his beloved. So no wonder Satan would like to see you destroyed also. Unfortunately, bad things do happen to people. Jesus even said in John chapter 16, verse 33, in this world you will have trouble. We often don't have a choice about what comes our way. The choice we do have is how we'll react to it. Will we forgive as we've been forgiven? Will we trust God to be just? No matter what happened in the past, the one thing you cannot be robbed of is your destiny as a child of the living God, the King of glory. What you have suffered at the hands of others, God will use for good if, like Joseph, you learn to forgive. God has given you a testimony to share. So use your story because God will use it for good, to bring others to healing and to accomplish the saving of many lives. May God bless you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your kindness to us. Lord, we have all owed you a debt we cannot pay, and yet you have cancelled that debt. And so, Lord, though it's hard and seems impossible in our own strength, help us to forgive others. Help us to do unto them as you have done to us. Lord, I pray that you would provide the strength that we need for that. 
We cannot do this alone, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. What is impossible for man is indeed possible for you, Lord God. So thank you for providing the strength that we need to be obedient. It is in Jesus' precious name and out of deep gratitude that we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. Michelle's messages are also available on all major podcast platforms and on her website at intheword.com.